from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our first scripture reading this morning comes to us from Paul's letter to the Galatians. He writes, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. See what large letters I make when I'm writing here in my own hand. It's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything but a new creation, that's everything. As for those who will follow this rule, peace be upon them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. The word of the Lord. Amen. Our second scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke. Hear now the word of God for you who are the people of God. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. 
Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. While well, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. And he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as your scriptures are studied and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with hope and joy what you say to us today. Amen. As I mentioned in the announcements, today is the last day in our summer sermon and Sunday school series on the prophets. So the past four weeks, we've been tracing this prophetic word back through scripture and the ancient Near East and now out into our world today. So whether you've been here for these weeks or you're new today, we've been asking the same question. How does the word of God come cutting through the competing words of our time? There is so much to listen to news commentators, 
social media feeds, TV shows, podcasts, when there is so much to get caught up in, how do we tune in to the Word of God? And that's just the external noise. There are also internal narratives chiming in. Maybe it's family expectations that you didn't live up to, or a harsh internal critic with self-defeating thoughts, or an ego that's active with worry. I had a supervisor once who said that the whole point of self-awareness is to help us sort out the voices in our heads so we can hear more clearly the voice of the Holy Spirit. So over these past weeks, we've made the case that it is the prophetic word of the Spirit that cuts through. Amidst the cacophony, it's the prophets that speak clearly. Now, in one case, the prophet's message is strong and bold and alarming. You know, these prophets, they do not sugarcoat their message. Jeremiah, he stood in the street smashing jars so people would listen to him. And Hosea, he named his daughter, she is not loved, just to get the point across. And Isaiah, he walked naked and barefoot for three years, crying woe to the sinful and rebellious people. In these cases, the prophetic words are loud. They shine the light on an unjust system, they reject the status quo, and they call for change, and they call out the people for their actions as contrary to what God desires for them. I've heard the prophets in this role described as watchdogs or headmasters. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project podcast calls them lawyers. He says they're representing God's interests in the covenant with Israel. They speak on God's behalf to remind the people of their covenant responsibilities. Stop what you're doing. Turn back to God or face the consequences. As you might imagine, uh, the prophets are not particularly popular in this role. This is not a word that is easy to hear. But the lawyerly watchdog is not the only position the prophets assumed. There is another way that they cut through the noise, and this is the role we'll look at today. In this role, the prophets aren't trying to shape up the present day, but they are imagining an entirely new one. So these prophets use their words to describe a whole new thing. They break through not with criticism, but with an impossibly new word. Walter Brueggemann is a wonderful scholar. In his book, Prophetic Imagination, he takes up this work of the prophet, and he calls this work prophetic energizing. And he says this is hard work even as difficult as prophetic criticizing, and he talks about how prophets like poets, inspire hope by inviting their audiences to use their imaginations, to imagine new possibilities, new realities, new responses to old problems, new ways of relating to one another, new ways of being God's people. 
So Brueggemann talks about how words don't just describe the world, they re-describe it. And the idea is that we need the right words to help us imagine a world that is different than our own. And the prophets provide these words of redescription. So the prophet Isaiah is probably one of the most well-known prophets in scripture. And he fulfills both of these roles. He's a lawyer and he's a dreamer. Isaiah has words of judgments from God to the people of Israel. And he warns them about sin, repentance, survival, but he author also offers messages of hope as he describes a new creation. Do you remember when he says, the wolf shall live with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. And also in Isaiah, in the words that we'll hear from the choir singing today, he says, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. These are the words of a reordered world. And they are the same words that a more recent prophet spoke. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. at the March on Washington outlined his dream of a different world, one without segregation, one without racism, one that was so hard for the 60s to see. And as he lined out each image in his I Have a Dream speech, he concluded with the new day of the prophet Isaiah's own words. One day, every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. These prophets, their words break through when we need to see the things that we've never seen before. When we need to test out the topographies that have never been or to believe in relationships that aren't yet real. These prophets, they dream the impossible. They give shape to the unknown. They speak of an entirely new landscape with words that provide a vision of hope in a suffering world. And so, in our reading from Galatians today, we see Paul playing the role of the energizing prophet. Now, I confess, I had a hard time thinking of Paul in this role. I think of Paul as more of an administrator, and he certainly was dedicated to the people and places of his time, diligently responding to their questions and concerns. He dove right in to the details of church order and governance. And I think of him too as a theologian. He went to great lengths to explain some of the new ideas of this burgeoning faith. His pen goes right to the paper and he systematically explains. I've heard it said before that his words are words of the pastor's study and not of the pulpit. An administrator 
and an academic, but a poet, prophet? Is he one of our imaginative, energizing leaders moving beyond explanations and details to offer a new word of hope to describe a reworked world? Well, in Paul's own words from Galatians today, a new creation is everything. Well, okay, what he actually says is neither circumcision or uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. So I know that we haven't spent much time developing a curriculum recently around circumcision. And I know that when you uh, get an email blast that says we have a new circumcision circle, you might not want to attend. But here's the deal. The Bible spends so much time talking about circumcision because it's important. And we might try to dismiss it as one of Paul's outdated details, but it's not. He's trying to talk about his dream. So the situation in Galatia was this. Paul had planted a church and left them there to flourish. But some teachers came along teaching that all should be circumcised. Circumcision was the covenant marker of community in Judaism. It was given to Abraham from God. It was the sign of belonging. It was the beginning of following Torah, of entering into relationship with God. And these teachers in the church in Galatia, they thought Gentiles, non-Jews, should be circumcised too. They had pretty good biblical reasons for believing so. It wasn't so much that they thought Gentiles shouldn't be included, but they believed that the old requirements of Scripture still applied, regardless of whether you were Jew or Gentile. That's Paul's problem with them. The teachers didn't have the imagination to see a new possibility for how we are to be God's people. Paul had no problem with circumcision. For Jews who had already been circumcised, go ahead and follow Christ. But Paul's messianic hope was that Jesus was for Jews and Gentiles. And if the Gentiles were becoming Jews through circumcision, then the new creation was distorted. If Gentiles were circumcised, then it could be said that God was still God first for or only for the Jews and not, as Paul has been preaching, for the entire world. That's why Paul writes this letter. And that's why his penultimate words are, neither circumcision or uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. So here's a fun-filled fact from the Bible scholar world for you today. In that original Greek, the phrase that I just said, it doesn't read that way. The sentence is not uh, complete. It's a much less orderly writer's sentence. The first part is the same, what I just read, but it's in the later, the latter half that translators have added words to make it seem more complete. So in the original Greek, this is what Paul says. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision is anything. New creation. That's it. 
Just those two words, all caps, main point, emphasis not added later, emphasis now. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision is anything. New creation. It's the coach's shout, the cheerleader's cheer. It's the poet's word. Sometimes I think we forget how radically new this Christ thing was. Christianity has been the way of many of our families for generations, the majority faith in our country for hundreds of years, the dominant religion of continents for many more. So these Christian concepts that a baby saves, that a king dies and lives again, that we are forgiven, that love is for all, they don't seem as wild to us anymore. But imagine those early church leaders who were introducing this faith, Paul, James, John, Peter, poets, dreamers, prophets, all, sharing the good news, redescribing the world. And of course, they weren't getting this new faith from out of left field. They were followers of Jesus. Jesus, whose being and doing had never been seen before. Jesus, who in the passage from Luke's gospel today, sent his 70 out into Samaria. That means that he moved them across ethnic and geographical and even religious divides. And he told them not to worry about clean and unclean, to eat whatever was set before them. Purity laws around food, Divisions among faith, separations by ethnicity, they didn't matter to Jesus. Go, he says, speak peace to whoever will hear it and heal them. And then to all, to all say the kingdom of God has come near. Paul is following after this wild Lord. And he continues to paint this new world. So when Paul picks up circumcision in Galatians, it's more than ancient and unrelated details. It's about the amazing grace of this seemingly impossible thing, new creation. Use your imagination. Christ redescribes our lives and our world. So it's funny, but one of my favorite findings from our summer study of the prophets is a quote by Martin Luther, uh, one of our reformed forefathers speaking 500 years ago. And Martin Luther has this to say about the prophets. Martin Luther says, they have a queer way of talking, like people who instead of proceeding in an orderly manner, ramble off from one thing to the next so that you cannot make head or tell of them or see what they are getting at. You cannot see what they are getting at. And it's true. Prophets in this energizing role, they can be hard to understand. This prophetic word of hope, it's not easily spoken or written or summarized for consumption. Poems are not logical. The imagination doesn't always make sense. Dreams are tough to describe. 
and nobody likes a mystery anymore. Prophets in the energizing role are not popular either. Now sure, the rejection isn't quite as frantic as when someone silences the watchdog lawyer and his alarming warnings. But the dreamer prophets, they do not avoid disdain. People don't necessarily want a new word. Hope can be hard to digest. We are able to believe no more in the graciousness of God than we are in the judgment of God. That's Walter Brueggemann. He says to imagine a new gift given from outside violates our reason. I wonder if this is why Christians get the reputation these days of being gullible. You know, Christians aren't smart, not rational. I've heard it said that being Christian is suspending your good judgment and just buying into something. Well, it's true that to be Christian is to traffic in hope. To be Christian is to be based in this wild religion of new creation, this impossible world of prophetic imagination. We were not there at the beginning of time, but we believe that somehow God formed this world and called it good. We've never seen a lion and a lamb lying together, but we believe that God intends and will tend the peaceable kingdom. We have never seen full equality, but we believe that God calls all people and God loves them as God's very own. We've never witnessed resurrection, but we believe that this world is not the last. We have never seen God, but we believe that as we love, God lives in us and God's love is made complete in us. So brothers and sisters in Christ, new creation, shake the dust off your feet. We have a dream, a language of faith that reorders our world. And for this good news, we are truly grateful. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.